and we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1, going to read three verses, verses 7, 8, and 9. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 9. I became your pastor in July of 2003, and it was about six weeks after that, on a Monday morning, I was sleeping in, recovering from Sunday, it was my day off, when all of a sudden my sleep was interrupted by this weight that landed upon me. My wife came into the room, and she did not call my name, she did not nudge me, she simply leapt into the air and landed right here. And of course, it startled me. I wondered what was going on, and I opened my eyes, and there about four inches from my face were two blue lines. Not one blue line, but two blue lines because my wife had just found out she was pregnant. And I remember seeing that grin on her face and seeing the joy of motherhood in her eyes, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. If you look at church history, it is amazing the role that mothers have played in furthering the gospel. There was a time in the second century where Christians were being martyred left and right. And there was a woman named Perpetua. She had just given birth when they fed her to the lions. Many pleaded with her to recant, to deny Christ for her child, if for no other reason. But she refused to do so. And as a result, she inspired believers all over the world to be bold and to stand for Christ no matter the cost. There's another woman that comes to mind named Susanna Wesley. She had 19 children. Only 10 of them survived into adulthood. Her husband was almost always away. She was effectively a single mother. Every night she would take turns on a rotating basis teaching her 19 children the Word of God and praying over them. Two of her sons, John and Charles Wesley, were two of the most influential preachers and hymn writers in the history of the church. But it all goes back to a godly mother named Susanna. And then we think of Lottie Moon. Of course, our Christmas offering every year is named after her. But did you know that her father died of a heart attack when she was very young? And Lottie Moon was raised by a single mom, Anna Maria Moon. Without her, we would not even know Lottie's name. And of course, we could go on and on. I love what one professor named Christian George said. He said, in the lives of countless Christians throughout the ages, God has often granted second births as a result of those who gave them their first. What a beautiful and what a true statement. I believe that motherhood is a calling. Now, this world doesn't believe that. I don't know if you heard, but it was announced this past week in several different news outlets 
that the official birth rate in this nation is officially the lowest that it has ever been. And of course, all the prognosticators debate the real reason for that, but could it be that we have lost that sense of calling? We have forgotten that motherhood is a calling. In fact, I believe that it is the highest of callings along with fatherhood. It is a higher calling than that of pastor or preacher or missionary. And that is why the Word of God has so much to say about it. That's why the fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. So this morning we're going to look at these three verses from Proverbs chapter 1. And we're going to read them together, and then we're going to break them down and study each verse. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck the writer is solomon and in these verses he describes the role of the family in teaching and instructing children he describes the blessings that come when this happened and what we just read in these verses apply to fathers as well as mothers and if it were Father's Day, I would apply this passage specifically to fathers, but today is Mother's Day, and so I want to take what we find in these verses and specifically emphasize the role of mother in all of this. But there are three parts to this calling that I believe we're going to see in this passage. And I want you to notice, first of all, the goal she pursues. The goal that she pursues. Look again in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There is a reason why verse 7, which emphasizes the fear of God, precedes verse 8, which emphasizes the role of father and mother. These statements are placed side by side in this passage for a reason. The fear of the Lord in verse 7 is the basis for the teaching and the instruction that follows in verse 8. That means parents. That means mom in the midst of all of the modeling and the counseling and the explaining and the correcting and the disciplining that you do. This is the one unifying theme, the fear of God. Someone asked, well, what is the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. Well, here is a definition. It is the continual awareness that I am in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God and that every thought, word, action, and deed is open before Him and is being judged by Him. Sometimes someone will ask me, Pastor Howard, do you believe that this fear of the Lord in the Bible, is this a more reverential fear? Or is this really a quaking in your boots kind of fear? And my answer to that question is always, yes. 
In other words, one or these two are not exclusive of each other. They go together. And personally, I think fear is getting a bad rap these days. Fear is not always bad. Children need to fear that hot stove lest they be burned. Children need to have a certain fear for that busy road lest they get run over. Children need to have a certain fear for that stray dog lest they be bitten. Fear can be a good thing, and that is never more true than when we are talking about the fear of God. The fear of God is really the glue that holds a society together that keeps us from falling into chaos and anarchy and moral destruction. I heard about one teacher who decided to take early retirement. She was a middle school teacher. She decided she wasn't going to uh, finish uh, up to her full pension. She retired early. Somebody asked her why. And she said, fear is the problem. She said, the teachers are afraid of the principals. The principals are afraid of the superintendent. The superintendent is afraid of the school board. The school board, they're afraid of the parents, and the parents are afraid of the children. But guess what? The children are not afraid of anybody. I think that's a pretty accurate description of where we are today. I fear that we're raising up another generation that knows nothing of the fear of God. And we have yet to see what the ramifications will be, but it's not going to be good. Notice what Solomon says about the fear of the Lord. He says it is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, in other words, is where knowledge of God begins. A.W. Tozer once said, No one can know the true grace of God who has not first known the fear of God. And it's true. Fear comes first. In fact, we see this fear of God, it directly leads to knowing and experiencing the love of God. Psalm 118, verse 4 says, Let those who fear the Lord now say His mercy or His hesed endures forever. Hesed includes mercy, but if you remember, that word is so much bigger than just mercy. It's kind of like the Old Testament equivalent of that beautiful Greek word agape. Notice it says in Psalm 33, verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His hesed, or His mercy. Notice, Fearing God is the key to knowing God, and knowing God is the, key, is the key to loving Him and being loved by Him. But it starts with that healthy fear. And where is that fear going to be learned? Where is it going to be developed? I'll tell you where it is best learned, where it is best developed, in the home, at the feet of Father and mother. You see, the family is not just a place where children learn how to hold a spoon, where they learn how to take their first steps. It's not just that place where they learn how to ride a bike or drive a car. First and foremost, it is where the fear of God is taught. 
and learned. And for the godly mother who sees motherhood as an actual calling, this is the goal she pursues above all others in the lives of her children. We see the goal that she pursues, but I also want you to notice the contribution she makes. I want you to notice the contribution she makes. Go back to verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts of what this verse is saying, there is an observation I have to make. For Solomon, it is a given that there is a father and a mother present. This is a given to Solomon. It should be a given to us as well. You will notice this theme over and over again in Scripture. Father and mother, father and mother, side by side. In Genesis 2, it says, For this reason will a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Of course, the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and mother. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. That is repeated verbatim in Proverbs 15.20. Proverbs 20.20 says, Whosoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. Now these are just a few examples of verses that pair father and mother, father and mother, father and mother, over and over again. There is this grand assumption in the Word of God. The assumption is that there is going to be a father and a mother, hear me, not a father and a father or a mother and a mother, but the assumption in the Word of God is that for the upbringing of children, there is a father and a mother because there is a contribution which father can make and there is a contribution which mother can make God really did know what he was doing when he created the home, when he created the family with fathers and mothers and children. And this might not be politically correct, but in any home where there are children, but father is absent or mother is absent, a crucial component is missing. And let me tell you, I know this from personal experience. Some of you know my mother died when I was six for five crucial years in my life. I was raised by a grandmother and did not have my father or my mother in the home. I still remember and shudder to think back at how I struggled during those years. And let me say this, God is able to redeem a broken situation. God is able to work in a broken home. God's grace can intervene when father is missing or when a mother is missing. So if that's where you are or if that's the home in which you were brought up, God can still work in your life. He can still work in that situation. And yet when we talk about our society, when we talk about that which is going to lead to the well-being of our society, there is this need for fathers and mothers and the contributions that they each will make. And so, mothers, when we say to you on Mother's Day, no one can take your place, that's not just some cheesy line from a Hallmark card. 
We say that because we believe that to be true based on the Word of God. Well, Solomon assumes father and mother, and notice he refers to the instruction of father and the law of mother. Notice what Solomon did not say. He did not say, fathers, you instruct. Mothers, change diapers. And all the women said, amen. What we see is fathers and mothers giving both instruction and law. Notice that word instruction. It's the the Hebrew word that is normally translated discipline. It carries the idea of correction, of rebuke, even confrontation. It is standing in the way of that son or that daughter who would go down the wrong path. Now, we know that children have a free will. You can raise your children in one way, and they can choose when they grow old to go in a different way. And yet, this is the mother or the father who says to their child, if you're going to choose the path of foolishness, if you're going to choose the path of lawlessness, you're going to have to go through me in order to get there. You're going to have to do it in spite of my instruction and in spite of all my prayers for you. There's to be instruction, but notice there is the law. Don't forsake your mother's law. Solomon's not talking about mother's personal law. Thou shalt do thy chores. Thou shalt finish thy homework. Thou shalt clean thy room. He's not talking about mom's personal law. This Hebrew word for law is the word Torah. We get the word Torah from it. And it is the word that is used again and again in the scriptures to refer to the law of the Lord. The fact that, yes, there is a law. There is right and wrong. There is good and evil. There is truth and error. There is a law because there is a law giver who has given his law to us. And again, There is this assumption that is here, the assumption that God's law is going to be taught in the home. Children are to learn God's law first and foremost, not from a Christian school, although nothing wrong with that. Children are to learn God's law first and foremost, not from Sunday school, although we praise God for that. They are to learn God's law first and foremost from their mother and their father and by the way these two things instruction and law that you are to give to your children these are things that you probably can't do and be their buddy at the same time there are so many parents that aren't willing to make that choice hey your child doesn't need another buddy What they need is a father and a mother who give them instruction and law. Now, folks, there's a major gospel ramification in all of this. It is critically important that mothers and fathers teach their children law, God's law, because it is the law of God that drives us to His grace. It is God's law 
that reminds us that we are lawbreakers. It is God's law that shows us that we have fallen short and we cannot save ourselves. And that is why God sent Jesus who came from heaven to earth, who obeyed God's law at every point. He fulfilled the law on our behalf so that he could then go to the cross and suffer the penalty for those of us who have broken God's law so that whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved by grace through faith alone. Fathers, mothers, this is why it's so important that your home would be a place where the law of God is learned. We think of one of the greatest examples of this in all of Scripture is this young man by the name of Timothy. He was Paul's protege. He was Paul's right-hand man. And you remember what Paul said about him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He said, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Timothy, one of the great heroes of the Bible, his father was likely not saved, but he had a godly grandmother. He had a godly mother, and his godly grandmother and his godly mother decided to team up and teach him the Scriptures they gave him instruction. They gave him law. They did for him what his own father was not willing to do, and he was saved as a result. Praise God for the Loises and for the Eunices in our churches today. In the home is to be a place where there is instruction in law, but I want you to notice that technically Paul is not speaking to parents in verse 8. He's talking to their children. This is a verse that really applies to every one of us, whether or not you are or will ever be a father or a mother. And Solomon tells us in verse 8 that we are to do two things. There are two commands that appear in this verse. One of them is positive and one of them is negative. You're going to notice something about these two commands that are placed side by side. These two commands would seem to correlate to two temptations that we all face in life. There are two temptations that we face when it comes to how we relate to our parents. And so in light of these, he gives us these two commands. One for when you are young and another command for when you are old. When you are young, he says, remember. He says, remember, listen to, to what they are teaching you. Those of you who are still at home, teenagers especially, children, listen, the Bible says, listen, and that means at times you have to stop talking in order to hear, not just with your ears, but also with your heart. This is how you honor them. And by the way, it doesn't just stop when you're a child. Proverbs 23, 22 says, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Mothers, do you realize that God has given to you a role to play that does not end when your children turn 18, doesn't end when they graduate from college, or when they move out, or when they get married. Even when you are old, God grants you many years, your work as a mother is not done. There are still prayers to be prayed 
there is still counsel to be given. There is still an influence to be shared. And by the way, those of you who have parents who are getting older, maybe they get on your nerves. Maybe you don't like all of their opinions. Maybe you think you've got this world figured out and they don't. And maybe you think that they are behind the times. Listen to me carefully. Don't be quick to dismiss them. They have wisdom you don't understand. They've experienced some things that you have not experienced. They've learned lessons that you haven't learned. So listen to them. Now, there's a second command in verse 8. There's a command for when you are young, and then there's a command from, for when you are older, when you are grown, and that command is to remember. Remember what she taught you. Consider the wisdom of what she said, and don't automatically write her off. You know, this second command in verse 8 is one that you can fulfill even if your mom is no longer living. If you're like me and your mom is no longer with you and Mother's Day comes and you get to watch everyone else giving cards, giving flowers, giving presents to mom and you're not able to do that, you can still do this. You can honor her by remembering what she taught you, by living your life accordingly, a life that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Motherhood is a calling and part of that calling, there's the goal she pursues that her children would fear the Lord. There's the contribution that she makes, instruction and law. But then there's another thing that I want you to notice that is part of this calling, and that is the reward she receives. I want you to notice in verse 9 it says, For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. There's a twofold reward that is mentioned in verse 9. There's a reward that we can experience, that we can enjoy, and there is a, re a reward for mother as well. Notice in verse 9 it says, For they will be a graceful ornament on your head. They refers to what Solomon has just said in the verse before, meaning instruction and law that has been handed down to us. What will they be? They will be a graceful ornament or an ornament of grace on your head. In ancient days, they would take flowers and with those flowers make them into a wreath that you would give to someone whom you wish to honor. They would take that wreath, they would wear it literally upon their heads which meant everywhere they went, the fragrance of those flowers would go before them. It's as if others could literally smell the honor that you had placed upon that person. He says chains around your neck. In biblical days, someone would wear a chain of gold, kind of like many times today, as a symbol, an outward symbol of success. Now, you put this together, Solomon is saying, if you're blessed to have a godly mother and you apply what Solomon said in the verse before, you listen to her instruction, you do not forsake her law, it becomes like that wreath, it becomes like that chain that you carry with you wherever you go. That means success, that means blessings, that means joy, satisfaction, and victory in life. That is your 
reward. But that's not all it is. It means your life becomes a testimony to the mother who passed it all down to you. Proverbs 23, verse 25 says this, Let your father and mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. She's rejoicing because she's received her reward. Back in the 4th century, there was a woman by the name of Monica. Monica knew the Lord and she loved the Lord with all of her heart. But she had a son who was lost. He was very rebellious. In fact, he even mocked Christianity. His name was Augustine. Monica never gave up. She never stopped praying for her son. One day she told her pastor about her son and how much she prayed for him, how she wept over him, how she longed for his salvation. And this pastor made an interesting statement. He said to Monica, it's not possible that the son of so many tears should perish. Sure enough, a few years later, that man, Augustine of Hippo, became a follower of Jesus Christ, accepting Christ under the preaching of that very pastor. If you know history, you know he became a great hero of the faith in the 4th century that he battled against several of the heresies that were being taught in that day and time. Even to this day, his sermons are still read. Even to this day, his teachings are still studied. 1,600 years later, you can't find a seminary student who does not at some point sit down and read the words of Augustine. He's still speaking and inspiring God's people to this day. But it all goes back to his mother, Monica. I have a question. When we get to heaven, who do you think will have the greater reward? As great as Augustine's reward might be, I can't help but think that the greater reward will go to his mother. Moms, let me close by saying this. It's not in vain. It's worth it. Keep praying. Keep teaching. Keep reminding. Keep instructing. Keep disciplining. Because when all is said and done, it is worth it both now and in eternity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for godly mothers like Monica, like Susanna Wesley, like Perpetua, like Eunice, like Lois, so many others that we read about in the Word of God and in the pages of history. And for those that we see and know in our own church family as well, God, we thank you for them. It is indeed a calling. And because it is a calling, 
that means we should honor and elevate and lift up those who have taken on that calling and encourage them and honor them. God, how we confess we failed to do that in our society, but also in our own lives individually as well. We ask you to forgive us, O oh God, where we have failed or whether we are failing to keep that fifth commandment to honor father and mother. We pray that we would be a people who do that. We pray for each and every home that's represented in this church. We pray for all of the, the godly fathers and mothers that you'd give them the grace that they need to teach the fear of the Lord, to teach that wisdom, to teach instruction, to teach law, and yes, as well, to model for our children the love of God. Father, I pray for them that you would equip them, give them grace when they fail because there is no parent who gets it right all of the time. Give them grace, Lord, when they fail. And Father, I want to pray for those who are here today who perhaps they've had a godly mother or a grandmother or someone who has prayed for them just like Monica prayed for Augustine all those years. God, I pray for that man or woman or boy or girl who does not know, who does not personally know Jesus Christ. God, how I pray that this would be that day of salvation that they recognize that we've all broken your law. We cannot save ourselves. We've all sinned, but Jesus came from heaven to earth. He died on the cross for our sin, and he rose again. And therefore, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I lift up that man or woman, boy or girl, here in this room or watching online, who today needs to take that step of faith and place their faith in Jesus. Father, knock on the door of their heart that today that door would be opened and that they would invite you in as Savior and Lord. Father, thank you for this time we could spend today. Help us all to know how to apply what we've read to our lives and how you would have us to respond to this message today. And we give you all of the thanks and all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, praise the Lord if you're here this morning and you need to take that step of faith or any step of faith. We want to know more. We want to pray with you. I'll be here at the end of the service with my mask on. If I can pray for you, uh, come by and let me know, especially if you're here today and you need to take that step of confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do that today. Uh, also, there's a connection card. If you're in the room, you'll notice it's right beneath the pews. You can grab that. If you're online, you can send that text message to the number on the screen and uh, let us know that step of faith that you're taking and uh, what it is that God has called you to do. We'll send you a link. You click on that link and uh, just uh, respond to that when you get it. All right.